When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast during the season. But of course, the new campaign doesn't kick off till the 6th of August. So we're down to three shows a week for the time being, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And of course, there's so much transfer news to get our teeth stuck into. Sadio Mane has finally departed Anfield. He's arrived at Bayern Munich. It's a really exciting signing for Bayern Munich. But what does this mean for the future of Liverpool Football Club? There's also Newcastle doing transfer business and Arsenal as well trying to make waves in the window. One club who needs to make signings, though, is Everton. And we'll be speaking to Mike from the Unholy Trinity Everton podcast later on in the show to find out exactly what Everton will be up to in the transfer window and what their expectations are for next season. But joining me today on Football Social Daily, we've got Daniel, a Manchester United fan and Owen, a Tottenham Hotspur fan. How are you doing, gents? You good? Hello. Good, good. Daniel... You haven't signed any players yet. What is going on? What's happening? You, are you getting frustrated yet as a United fan? Uh, nah. I mean, I'm, I'm an adult. <laughs> and, uh, I can I can hang on. Um, I think um, the problem with United is that they're almost some kind. Seems to be some kind of stigma about buying United players, which I think is part of the problem. They're obviously haggling with Barcelona over Frankie De Jong. I'm pretty sure that deal will happen. United will eventually pay whatever they have to pay. They're just trying not to pay as much as Barcelona want them to pay. But I think that they're probably struggling to do other deals till they know how much that one's going to cost. Because the way that the Glazers operate means that the money that the club should have to spend is not the money that the club does have to spend. So I think that once that deal happens, and I think it will happen, as I said, the club spent so long on it now, they can't afford for it not to happen because it just looks so ridiculous that you hire a new manager, then a player of Frankie de Jong's quality is available to you. And the only reason he's available, a player of that quality, it's not because of United, it's because of the manager. So the manager then identifies this player that he knows, who he basically wants to build his team around. You can't then fail to go and get that bloke in a one-horse race. So they will make that happen at some point. But as for the rest of it, I think that they will... They're they're trying to sign Anthony, it seems. But I think probably the defenders, they won't buy until they've got rid of some defenders. They won't buy a right-back till they've got rid of Wan-Bissaka. They won't buy a centre-back till they've got rid of Bailly. So it feels like they're setting up those deals. And I guess they have to hope that in the meantime, they're not gazumped by players who are losing patience. And for some reason, United have massive struggles to sell players who I seem to be better than players that other teams are paying a lot of money for. If you look, for example, West Ham apparently didn't offer money for Lingard last season. They spent 30 million quid on Vlasic and they're now trying to bin. I don't know. 
Do you think those frustrations are accelerated to an extent by the fact that Man City have bought Haaland for a decent fee, Liverpool have gone and spent money on Nunez, and Manchester United are obviously looking at their two closest rivals, their two biggest rivals, and thinking, we need to catch up to them. We're quite far behind in this sort of, um, not in stature, but certainly in terms of ability on the pitch at the moment with the way the last season went. So do you think that that kind of increases the frustrations a little bit when it comes to the, the Old Trafford fan base? Um, I mean, not so much for me. If I look at things that I find frustrating about United, not signing players isn't that near the top of the list. It's just the whole... I mean, it's obviously always be the Glazers at the very top, and I know these things are all related. Uh, but if I looked at Liverpool and City, it's it's the, not it's not particularly the signing of players, but the signing of players, I guess, reflects a cl- clubs that are working properly. And United's inability to do that reflects clubs that aren't working, a club that isn't working properly, and it comes back to the Glazers. But... There's only so much further away these Liverpool and City can go, as in they're, they're getting a lot of points as it is. So I don't think that Nunez is going to make Liverpool miles better. Nunez for Mane, it's more the fact that they've replaced Mane before he's even gone, and United are struggling to get players in that they need to fill the fill the, fill the first team up. But no, it's not. It's not really the the fact that these other clubs have signed players. It's the fact that United's inability to sign players and United's inability to run themselves properly is an issue, rather than anything that's going on anywhere else. Talking of signing players, as a Tottenham fan, Owen, you must be in a bit of a weird position because your club have actually decided to spend some money and bring some players in, uh, which is probably a bit weird um, from your perspective. We haven't spoken to you since you've signed the likes of Perisic and, you know, Conte's been eyeing up these targets. How are you feeling about the transfer window? Uh, I'm feeling good so far. I can't really complain, to be honest, because the last time we signed anyone before a window opened, I don't, to be honest, I don't even think I was alive at that point. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm happy with the business we've done so far, but if if we want to try and at least like close the gap and finish in a third place because obviously the title I think is unrealistic at this point if if we want to close the gap on Liverpool and City we we need to bring more players in we need we need quite a few positions still I think we need another attacker um I don't think Richarlison's the right person that's who we're being linked with at the minute um we're being linked with Zaniola from Ro- Roma I can't say I know much about either to be honest but we need defenders definitely I think once we get that left centre back in, I think we're looking in a bit of a better shape then, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Zaniola is a good player. I saw him a couple of times last season for Roma. He actually, I think he he broke his ankle or got a nasty injury um, a few years ago and came back like sort of massively hench almost, like really stacked and muscly. And um, he's a very influential player, actually. So I think that would be a decent shout uh, for him to go to Tottenham Hotspur. But those are the thoughts of Daniel and Owen on their respective clubs. But let's talk about Liverpool now, because Sadio Mane has departed to Bayern Munich. 120 goals in 269 Liverpool games. Every major trophy available, he's won the Champions League, the Premier League, and of course, those two domestic cup competitions last season. 35 million quid. Who's getting the better end of the bargain here, Dan? Is it Liverpool or is it Bayern Munich? Because I think in terms of the attacking players that Liverpool have got, Salah seems to have been linked with a move to Real Madrid or Barcelona for the last few years. Every summer window, you seem to see these newspaper stories pop up on the back pages. But yeah, it's Mane, the one who's left first. So what do you make of this deal? Uh, I think, well, Mane wanted to leave in the end. Um, I think it's hard to know how well Liverpool have done out the deal because we don't know how good Nunez is going to be. Um, but they did they did see the best of Mane. I mean, if we look at... He didn't. He got better through last season, but he didn't start last season that well. And they were... And they signed Luis Diaz anyway, who plays on the left, which is Mane's best position. So i I think it'll be more Luis Diaz who replaces him rather than rather than Nunez, although Mane had also played a little bit through the middle i I can see why he left probably wants to go and win some league titles and he's got a much better chance of doing that with Bayern than he does with Liverpool um He probably also wanted to earn some more money, which is also understandable so it's his last big contract, so I can see that it's a great move for Mane at this stage of his career to be able to go somewhere as big as Bayern and as for whether it's a good deal or not for Liverpool I guess will remains to be seen how well Luis Diaz and Nunez do next season and in the seasons to come but what Liverpool did do I mean one thing that 
we have to pay attention to is that Liverpool's run of signings over the last, say, four or five years, it's probably been, and I, I don't like to say this because it's it sounds like ridiculous recency bias, but it might be the greatest run of signings in the history of football that they've just been nailing them one after the other, after the other, after the other. So it's usually you would say that 50% hit rate on transfers isn't bad. And Liverpool's is up miles above that. So you have to, you have to not assume, but you have to believe that Nunez will be a good buy. And they probably won't notice the absence of Mane that much. And that's what, that's what clubs that are run properly do. They replace good players with other good players so that the transition is seamless. And because they got Luis Diaz in January, they don't actually need very much from Nunez in the first half, first half of next season. They can allow him to settle at his own pace because they've still got good attackers without him. Yeah, I think last season Mane showed just how influential he can be and just how good he can be. He's actually been there six seasons, Owen, which I don't know whether that surprised me or not. Because when you say it out loud, Mane's been at Liverpool for six seasons, you think, oh yeah, that sounds about right. But... You know, he joined the club in 2016 when they weren't in the Champions League and they weren't, you know, winning titles or challenging for titles or Champions League. So actually, the sort of progression that Liverpool have had under Jurgen Klopp, Sadio Mane has been a massive part of that, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Like you said, uh, is it 120 goals in two, however many games is, is great output, to be honest. And I think... It, Although Luis Diaz is a great player, um, we didn't really see that great an output in terms of goals and assists from him in his little sin in this Premier League last season. So it, obviously he's a great player, but whether he can replicate that kind of output is, uh, like you say, remains to be seen. Yeah, I definitely think with the wages that Bayern are offering as well. I think we've heard a lot about the sort of philanthropist inside Sadio Mane and that... I think some reports claim, Dan, that it's like €360,000 a week, which is just a staggering amount of money, particularly for a German club who don't tend to pay that much in wages. So do you think that that came into the thinking a little bit? You know, Mane's done unbelievable things at Liverpool. You know, he's, he's scored a load of goals. He's won trophies. But we, we hear a lot about the off-the-pitch stuff with him. You know, how he wants to kind of influence his community back in Senegal and, uh, and build hospitals and schools and kind of build up his community where he came from. So do you think that came into the thinking? And if so, does he deserve to be commended for that? Um, yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, I think we can already commend Mane. Like, he's obviously a top bloke. I mean, he plays for Liverpool, yeah. so it doesn't fill me with that much joy to say it, but <laughs> some stuff is more important than football. And um, actually, last season, I picked, was it last season, maybe the season four, I can't remember now, they all merge into one long line of misery. But um, I picked, I picked um, a likeable Premier League eleven for the Guardian, and Mane was in it because you can see that he's a top bloke. And I think this is something people. Your point is a good one. Something people sometimes forget about players who come particularly from West Africa. That one of the reasons they move sometimes is because of that. That they have more dependence than a lot of European players. So in order to in order to fund, in order to pay for their dependence and their communities, they want to move and earn money in order to do that. Um, I don't know if that's what Mane's plan is. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. It, he doesn't have, in my opinion, anything to prove to me or to anyone else that he understands what is important in life uh, because he's already proved it. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was what he intended to do. He's 30 years of age now, Sadio Mane, Owen. So... We kind of have this theory or, or sort of stigma almost in English football that when you hit 30, you're over the hill. You, you kind of best years are behind you. But there's been so many examples to the contrary. When you look at the likes of Thiago Silva, you look at the likes of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's into his 40s now. And, and you see these players, I mean, Ronaldo even at Manchester United is another example of someone who's, who's continually performing well into his late 30s. Do you think that that stigma still exists because, you know, Sadio Mane, people are saying, oh, he's 30, so, you know, he's bound to slow down. Naturally, you'd expect him to because he's kind of coming towards the later years of his career. But he doesn't feel like a player who's losing fitness or losing potential. What do you think? No, I think um, I think the stigma comes from when the Premier League was still like a pub league and people <laughs> like... You know, people were going still eating pies and not looking after the diets and stuff like that. And I think sports science has come so far, and diet dietary like people who dietitians and stuff like that, people who are looking yeah. after the food. The 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 sports 
footballers are looking after their bodies a lot more and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of players like like you're saying Thiago Silva, late thirties in the Premier League still putting in great performances. Um but I th- I think the stigma is is outdated definitely, but it's definitely an English thing as well. I think also what you're seeing with these players is that someone like Mane, he didn't he wasn't overplayed as a kid because he wasn't playing he wasn't playing at the top at the top level till he was in his mid twenties. Um, that being the case, it means that he might have more miles on the clock left. So if you look at players like like uh, like Rooney and Owen, who broke through early, they also finished pretty early because they were flogged from 17-18 all the way through till 28-29. And they just didn't have... I mean, they had injuries as well. But Mane didn't start competing, like playing playing Champions League. So playing twice a week, one intense games, until he was quite old. And, he, and he's managed to steer clear of serious injury. So, yeah, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to carry on a bit longer. But I don't think it's necessarily just like a nutrition thing. It's just that, well, how how far have you run? How often? How intensely? And his his miles on the clock will be relatively low compared to other players who kind of hang up, who, who have finished a little bit sooner than he might be. I think that's a really good point that you make there, Dan, in terms of the way that Liverpool play their football. Maybe that's not conducive to a a career of longevity who knows maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm um, making a stab at that and I'm barking up the wrong tree let us know what you think about the the fact that Sadio Mane has left the Premier League and he signed for Bayern Munich 35 million pounds you can at us on social media at the Sports Social on Twitter Sports Social Official on Instagram and if you just search Sports Social on Facebook you'll be able to find us there trying to keep you up to date with all of the latest Premier League transfer news. Now, earlier on this week, we spoke about uh, Chelsea and Romelu Lukaku being loaned back to Inter for just £7 million. That is all done and dusted. Effectively, that will be announced next week. The Belgian striker is going to do his medical and then and then sign a contract to return to Inter Milan. There's no option to buy or obligation to buy in that clause, as reported by Fabrizio Romano, the Italian transfer expert. It is just a normal loan. So this transfer window is throwing up a few quite exciting deals already. Mane to Bayern Munich, Lukaku back to Inter Milan. What about Arsenal? What are they going to do? Do they need some strikers? Well, Gabriel Jesus is on their radar and we'll talk about that next after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. My name's Niall. I've got Owen and Daniel alongside me. And we're going to talk about Arsenal now, who didn't finish in the Champions League places. They were pipped by Owen's club, Tottenham Hotspur, in the final stages of the season. So Tottenham finished in the top four. Arsenal missing out. They'll be playing Europa League next season. They've been interested in uh, Gabriel Jesus for a while, Owen. Do you think the fact that your club Tottenham finished above your rivals Arsenal and that they didn't get Champions League is making it more difficult for them in terms of signing the players that they actually want? Um, I think to some extent. I think with a player like Gabriel Jesus, maybe not because he's playing back back up in a City team that doesn't play with a striker. Um, He's not going to come to Tottenham and and get in that first eleven. If he goes to Arsenal, I think that makes more sense. He'll be the probably the one of the better players, and he will definitely play every week. Um, in terms of not having Champions League, I think if it's a toss-up between Arsenal and Tottenham, and it's a player that 
is going to play for both teams, they're obviously going to pick the Champions League team, aren't they? I think that's regardless of if it's Tottenham or Arsenal. If it was anyone in the Champions League and someone who wasn't, they would pick the Champions League team. But um, it, it, they've also got a big history, so it, 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 it just depends, doesn't it, to be honest, on the player and what they're, what they're thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think the fee is £50 million, which is reported at the moment, Dan. 58 goals, 29 assists, 159 Premier League games. He's won the Premier League four times at Manchester City. Gabriel Jesus has never really been in the spotlight. He's never been the one player that everyone looks at in the City squad and think, he's the guy. But for £50 million quid to Arsenal, which looks like it could well be on the cards, is that a good move? Is that a decent deal all round? I mean, it depends what you're trying to do, really. I mean, I quite like Gabriel Jesus because he was pretty much the worst striker I could legitimately <laughs> expect City to have. And I'm not saying he's crap. He's a good player. Yeah. But if you look at the amount of money that's been spent on that City squad, and then you look at Gabriel Jesus, you're like, okay. Because what really happened was Guardiola signed him to replace Aguero. And it turned out, and he tried really hard to play him instead of Aguero, and he couldn't because he ultimately wasn't in the same league as Aguero. But he presses well, and it turned out that, that wasn't enough. And I don't really care if he goes to Arsenal or Tottenham, because again, he's a good player, but he's a, he's a top four player. He's not elevating either of those teams to get anywhere near the title. And I think that's what Spurs, to me, look to be compiling a top four team. The, like, I know Antonio Conte has won the Premier League before, but the standard was much lower than it is now. He would not win the he wouldn't win the Premier League with that Chelsea team now. They wouldn't get near it. And when I look at the players that he's signing, like Perisic, um uh, Kulosevsky, uh Bentenker, they're all good players, these guys, but they're trying to get settled in the top four players, like every season top four players, rather than players that are getting anywhere near the league with, with that team. And um, so I think that what you end up with when you're Arsenal and Tottenham is when you, you're not a name that players want to tell their grandkids that they play for Arsenal or Tottenham in the way that United and Liverpool are that. Like they have that status in English football that's above that. They're not paying the biggest wages. So you have to decide, the managers have to decide, do they want to go with guaranteed players' talents who they know what they're going to get from, like Perisic, like Jesus, or do they want to speculate on younger players who aren't there yet, but who might get to the level above that? Like Arsenal have done it with uh, Fabio Vieira, for example. And so when I look at what Conte is doing, I look at what Tottenham are doing, I look at that and think they're probably good enough to beat almost anyone on a really good day, but they're not getting anywhere near the title with those. And so if I was Gabriel Jesus, I, I understand why you might think, well, I'll pick the team that's in the Champions League, but that's just one season. I'd be looking at it and I think he'd be thinking which club ultimately has more upside. And I'm not saying that it is Arsenal because I find Mikel Arteta extremely uncompelling and I can't grasp why anyone would fancy doing anything that he said. But it feels to me like there's probably a little bit more room for growth at Arsenal, but I might be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably more room to get in the starting eleven at Arsenal rather than someone like Tottenham. I know Tottenham have been linked with Richarlison, the Everton forward, as you've said already on the show, Owen. So in terms of Gabriel Jesus, do you think he just naturally will get more games as a starter at Arsenal than he would do at somewhere like Tottenham? Because we know Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, he loves to rotate, doesn't he? He loves to change the forward players. He loves to uh, swap players in and out and kind of give players a rest, even if they're in really good form. It's not unusual to see a, a player who might have scored four goals in one game or something just be put on the bench for the next match because that's the way Guardiola likes to do things. With Tottenham, we always say that they've got a really good front three, or at least the, the two players that are always in that front three are Son and Kane. You can't not put them in there. Um, you know, Someone like Gabriel Jesus or Richarlison, does that increase the strength of the front three? Probably. But if you are Jesus, is, is Arsenal a better, a better shout for you as a player at this point in time? Because Tottenham and Conte, it feels like your club know their game plan and they and they kind of have a blueprint of who they want to sign yeah uh, definitely at, at this point in his career he's he's not been an out and out starter for City he's not been an out and out starter in the Premier League for so long he's not going to start over Kane he's not going to play in Son's position Kulusevski we've seen as, as 
had great output in the time that he's been at Tottenham. So it's, it's going to be a hard challenge to, to get him out of his place as well. If he goes to Arsenal, Enketia he's got to challenge for that striker spot, which arguably, well, he's definitely a better striker than Enketia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's say that. Um, so if if he's looking to play a nine out and out every week, it, Arsenal is definitely the better proposition for him, 100%. What's Arsenal's aim then? Dan, what do you reckon? Because obviously they were well in the running for the top four last season, but they ended up losing out to their rivals, which must have stung. And they seem to go on these runs where they'll win consistently and they'll be in good form and then they'll lose a game, but then they'll lose two or three on the bounce. And that's happened a couple of times throughout last season and particularly towards the end. But they ended up losing two or three on the spin, which kind of put them out of Champions League contention and it allowed Spurs to sweep in. Um... I'd say on the final day, but really it was almost wrapped up the, the week before that with Spurs, and you know because they had Norwich on the final day, everyone kind of knew that Tottenham were gonna were gonna kind of go into that fourth spot. So, you know, I remember when your club Manchester United used to have some real tussles with Arsenal in years gone by. Are Arsenal still that powerhouse of a club in terms of you know the history, the prestige, and someone like Gabriel Jesus coming from a top club in England? Would he look at Arsenal and still think, yeah, you're you're a great club and I can get you back to where you need to be? What do you make of Arsenal and the project there that Arteta has? Uh, it's hard to see Arsenal seriously challenging for the titles at this point because they're competing against state wealth. And even by the time Klopp leaves Liverpool, let's say, they're still going to be City and Newcastle are going to be probably much, much better than they are now. So it is hard to see when Arsenal might next win the league title because it's some, some money race, isn't it? Um, and you look at it now, and I also think, my God, you got rid of Highbury for this. Like one of the great football grounds, a proper football ground, for by far the crappiest of the new grounds. And for what? Nothing. Um, so, I mean, they're not... Arsenal's still a great club with a great history, but it's hard to see them doing very much serious. But I think next season, they'll be wanting top four and a proper go at the Europa League. And... Um, they're definitely capable of doing that. I still look at the defence and feel like it's it's unreliable. That those centre backs are all right. They're not much better than all right. Um, but if they have a better midfield in front of them and a better attack in front of that, and they score more goals, then the defence, the problems with the defence, will be less significant. I think that they need more out of Martin Odegaard. Who, if you look at where he scored and created goals last season, it was almost basically against against crap teams but was unable to do very much at all against anyone who's any good um, and that will be something that Arsenal need to improve a lot on next season but they've got more options I'd also if I was an Arsenal supporter be a little bit fit about what's going on with Bukayo Saka because he's not signed a new contract it looks like City might be creating some space in his position and it looks like Arsenal are trying to buy Rafinha who yes. might replace him. So I would be concerned about that. I mean, if I was Saka, I wouldn't. I'd have been out of there last time they asked. They tried to get me to sign a contract because he's an excellent player and he's too good for Arsenal, where Arsenal are currently. Do you think, think, though, Dan, do you think the fact that Saka will get regular games under Mikel Arteta, he'll pretty much start every match, whereas under Pep Guardiola, that won't be the case. You know, he, he goes from being players one of the best always players back themselves, though, I think. No, that's a good point. I think he, I think, I don't think he would look at, at Arsenal it. to one of the sort of squad player at Man City, I suppose. I know what you mean, but I don't think he'd look at it and think I'm not good enough to get in that team. I just I don't think I don't think that would happen. And there are a lot of games to go around. Team plays sixty games. You're going to get some games. You're going to get and you're going to get enough games, and you're also going to get some big games because that's how that's how it works. You don't see Guardiola tends not to have a first eleven he picks in every big game so I think at that point it's whoever if you're fit and in form when the big games come around then you'll play and I don't think most footballers don't don't sit there unless you're going to Tottenham to be like reserve centre forward and you know you're not getting in instead of Harry Kane but City's not quite like that and if you look at the team if you look at the team's Guardiola pick last season um, and we're just looking like really at like the midfield and the attack did anyone play did anyone start all the big games apart from Rodri? I, I don't. Maybe Bernardo did as well, but otherwise, Phil Foden didn't. Uh, Raheem Sterling didn't. Uh, Jesus didn't. But so Haaland will start. But I'd say the wide attack slots 
and the two other midfield slots either side of Rodri are up for grabs. There's a good point, and Arsenal are closing in on the signing of Gabriel Jesus. I've looked at most of the back pages of the newspapers today, and pretty much all of them have got that signing down as a, effectively a done deal. So, you know, if you went into a petrol station this afternoon and had a look at the newspapers on offer outside the front of the garage, you'll be able to see pretty much Gabriel Jesus on the back of all of them. So it looks like he is on his way to Arsenal. Just before we move on and talk to Mike from the Unholy Trinity Everton podcast about their expectations and hopes next season after a terrible campaign last time around in the Premier League, we mentioned on Wednesday about uh, Nick Pope, the Burnley goalkeeper, possibly on his way to Newcastle. That looks pretty much a done deal as well. That looks signed, sealed and delivered. Vincent Company is, of course, the new manager at Burnley, the former Manchester City defender. And he's got a bit of a task on his hands considering the amount of players that Burnley could well lose this transfer window as they look to try and return to the Premier League from the Championship next season. But let's focus on Pope for the time being, Owen, just quickly. I mentioned on Wednesday, I said, are these the sort of signings that Newcastle United need to go for? Because... Everyone knows that they've got state wealth. Everyone knows they've got a significant amount of money. So the chances are you're going to get clubs trying to rip you off. But £10 million for Nick Pope, someone who knows the Premier League. He's been decent over the years. Is that a good sign in your book? Yeah, definitely a good sign. And it's, it's safe. You know what you're getting with him, really. He's been playing in a, a Burnley team that um, have been shipping goals for however long, to be honest, now. And he's been probably the best player, I would say. Um, I think it's a, a good signing. It's not as if they didn't have a decent keeper in Dubravka already, but uh, it's it's definitely an upgrade. And I think it's it it while they're in this phase where they probably can't attract the upper echelon of player at the minute, I think it's definitely a smart signing. What are your thoughts on it in general? Because I asked this question Dan on Wednesday's podcast about how do Newcastle United approach the transfer window? Because everyone knows they've got stacks of cash. So it's quite hard not to get mugged off or rinsed or whatever words you want to use when it comes to signings. So how sort of savvy do they have to be in the transfer market when it comes to signing players? Because it almost feels like every signing they make is going to have an extra five million just bolted onto the end of it just purely because everyone knows how rich they are. Well, that's that's what happens. I mean, I think they can afford they can afford to pay it. So it'll be up to the manager and up to the people that decide about the money. Uh, who go by the name of Amanda Staveley, but whoever <laughs> else it is, I mean, um, will will decide. So I, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about them. I was a little bit surprised they signed Pope because I felt like the kind of football that Eddie Howe would want to play, Pope is not really that guy. Um, and maybe I'm just annoyed that they didn't sign Dean Henderson. I don't know, but um, I felt like they would be looking for someone who's a little bit better with the feet than Pope is. Um, but I mean, what what City when City were building, they accepted the fact that they were going to have to overpay uh, yeah. for players, and that's that's what they did. And I'm pretty sure that's what Newcastle will do too. Is I think the difference now is that when City were good, when sorry, when City were building, um, the, Madrid didn't have that much money, and United were at the worst part of Glazonomics, where they were basically still good because Fergie was still the manager, and so they weren't allowed to buy players. What City, City got a free run, uh, Sergio Aguero, David Silva and Yaya Toure. That wouldn't happen now. And so it's a li- it will be a little bit harder for Newcastle um, than it was than it was for City for that reason. Because if you look at the Premier League now, you've got Spurs are spending money, Arsenal are spending money, United claiming that they're going to spend money, Liverpool are spending money, Manchester City are spending money. Um, so the ability to get the players that City got, Newcastle probably don't quite have. They did manage to get Bruno Gimaraes, though, who is a much better player than you would have thought they'd have been able to get at that point. Um, I think it will take them a bit longer to get good than City did. Um, and I've not, I mean, like, for example, they're trying to sign uh, Hugo Katike at the moment. And he's meant to be sort of the next, the next great striker or next high level striker who hasn't been signed by anyone. And. I don't, if I was him, why would you go to Newcastle? Like, if you back your talent, then you might as well hang on another season and see see where you can get to after that. Because once players get to these places, it's very hard to get out because they don't they don't need the transfer fee. 
And um, I mean, you also sort of wonder what benefits they're getting as well, because if you look at particularly the Southern European players, they tend to leave the English clubs at some point, and yet no one has left City until City are ready for them to leave, really. No one that they wanted to stay, Aguero and Silva. And you wonder what Newcastle will be able to do to make that happen. But I guess they've got to get these players first, and it won't be this summer that that happens, or probably next summer either. Talking of moving and shaking, I'm really interested to see how Everton go in this transfer window. Their owner, Farhad Mashiri, issued an open letter to supporters over the last couple of weeks suggesting that he's kind of made a few mistakes along his course as being the owner of Everton Football Club. It was almost not an apology. I wouldn't wouldn't say it was that far, but certainly it was something that kind of made the supporters of Everton sit up and take notice. Uh, An open letter from an owner is never normally a a good sign. Uh, Everton Football Club is something we're going to talk about next with Mike from the Unholy Trinity podcast. But Dan, I know on your podcast, the United Rewind, you've spoken to an Evertonian yourself and that's the mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham. You spoke about the FA Cup final from 30 years ago, whenever it was. Um, How did that go? That sounded like a really fun episode. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, he, yeah, we talked a lot about, I mean, Andy Burnham, obviously, like he understands football better than most MPs because he actually, <laughs> he actually likes it, doesn't pretend to like it and has, yeah, was raised, was raised in a football family. So yeah, that was kind of what we talked about really, like the football's place in the community, his vision for making football better. Well, one of the things I laughed about was, like, I said to him, like, you stood to be leader of the Labour Party, so what you're really saying there is, I think I can be Prime Minister. How, how did you get to a point where you felt able to say that about yourself without laughing or feeling self-conscious or whatever? <laughs> what he said was, uh, it never occurred to him when he was first an MP and he turned up at Westminster and then he saw basically what thick <laughs> everyone everyone else were. <laughs> and he felt at that point, it was just like, all right then, maybe, maybe, I, can, maybe I can do this. And I'm not politically aligned with Andy Burnham on everything. Uh, I guess I'm probably a little bit further to the left than he is. But it would have been better if he'd have if he'd have won if he'd have won that Labour leadership election. I mean, yeah, and uh, because yeah, we are where we are now. But I wouldn't be surprised if he came again. I think he's I think he's still ambitious, and I think that he has the ability to talk to a wider range of people on the level than definitely than Keir Starmer does and definitely than Jeremy Corbyn did as well. Well Andy Burnham a huge Evertonian and they beat United in the FA Cup final in 1995 that was the last time Everton won a trophy you can hear Dan's chats with some other uh, uh, sort of well-known figures as well Debbie Horsfield talks about uh, Arsenal beating United in the FA Cup final in the 70s you've got Miguel Delaney as well on the show as well as some other old school Manchester United matches from the 70s ranging up to the present day on Dan's podcast the United Rewind which is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network so go and check that out and another podcast which is also part of the network is the Unholy Trinity, the Everton podcast. I spoke to Mike earlier on this week, who's been an Evertonian for over 30 years, and he said last season could have been one of the worst he ever remembers supporting that great football club in Liverpool. We'll find out what he thinks about Everton's chances for next season next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, a Premier League podcast from Sport Social. And there are certain clubs you, you couldn't imagine a Premier League season without. And for me, one of those sides is Everton Football Club. But this upcoming season could very nearly have been a first ever without them as they battled with relegation last year. But the Blues did manage to beat the drop in the end. So now that's behind them. What does next season have in store? Joining us now to share his thoughts is Mike from the Unholy Trinity Everton podcast, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. 
How are you doing, Mike? Have you uh, recovered yet? <laughs> yeah, it's just about, just about. It's been, it was a, a long, a long season, especially that last sort of two months or so. Um, it, it, I think it aged every single Evertonian, to be perfectly honest. And we were all grateful that the season's over, that we, we got over the line and we and we kept our, our Premier League status. That was the, obviously the most important thing, because like you said, you know, it, it seemed unthinkable the Premier League wouldn't have Everton in. Um, and as Evertonians, we certainly couldn't see it. And that's not coming from a position of, of arrogance. That's just, we, we just, you know, don't expect our side to be in and around the, the bottom three. Um, but other I've spoke numerous times with yourselves over the course of the season about maybe where the, the problems lay there. Uh, but hopefully this summer, you know, the manager gets a, you know, f- fresh eyes on it, on the transfer window, uh, fresh ideas, Changes have been made behind the scenes already in regards to uh, Kevin Thelwell coming in and, and a new structure for the academy, etc. So it's good. It's, you know, it should be a, a fairly exciting summer, but a, a lot of changes, I think, on the pitch uh, are, are going to be going to be happening over the course of the next couple of months. Yeah, I mean, well, you've been an Evertonian for over thirty years now, Mike. So you've seen pretty much the lot. How tough was last season? Is that is that the worst you've experienced as an Evertonian? I think it was. I mean, I, I was there for the Wimbledon game in '94, but I was only, you know, thinking about that. I was only nine years of age at the time, so you, you don't really have the same emotions at that age. Obviously, Coventry, um, four years later, again a bit older, but the emotion is not the same as as, as, an, as an adult. And you know, you as you as you get older and you you know become a bit more mature, um, you certainly don't react any more maturely than you would do. I don't think that when when you were younger, it was a, it was certainly the worst I can remember. That 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 is for sure. You know, it was it was horrible going to the game. You know, trying to you know do whatever you could to get to get the team over the uh, over the finishing line. You know, we had a responsibility as as a fan base to try and do that, which I think we did. But what we did do, and every single fan who attended our games attended the the send offs, welcoming the bus, deserves a you know huge appreciation for doing what they did and. It shows you how dire the situation was, you know, from bringing in a manager who was never wanted by the fan base to, to bringing in a manager who united the fan base, but he was still working with a lot of the players that got us into that situation as well. And it was it was a very, very rotten sort of feeling at the at the core of the club. And um it was it, it was difficult for for Frank Lampard, that's for sure. And I don't think we should really judge him on on sort of games one since he came in, because he came into a really, really Tricky, tricky club, tricky situation, and but yeah, mo- most definitely the, the the hardest time I can remember as an Everton fan. Yeah, I remember speaking to you actually earlier on in the season when you mentioned about you know Benitez was almost a disaster waiting to happen, and someone's come in in Frank Lampard, and in your words, has united the fan base. What are the feelings towards Frank Lampard, particularly now after that dramatic survival which you did secure? Is it is it very much United still heading into the new season? Hundred percent. You know, we, we've got to be. We, we we showed what we can do when we are united as a, as a fan base, especially, and and how much better it was almost. You know, supporting the club and, and all being on the same page with the same goal, and that was to to ensure our our Premier League survival. So, in terms of Frank Lampard, all fans are, are massively behind him. We, we all feel we need that that stability over the next sort of two or three years. I think the you know, if if he's the manager who takes us into our new ground in, in a couple of years' time, then it shows that he's he's done done all the right things. But th- this window's a big window for him, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we know we're gonna lose probably Richarlison and or Dominic Calvert Lewin. You know, Richarlison is the favourite currently. So, you know, big changes. He's our best player as far as I'm concerned. He's our he, you know, one of the players who kept us up six goals in the last nine games. Um so to 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 replace him was going to be difficult. Um, so it's a huge window for Frank Lampard and, and he will be judged based on who he can bring in. But I think if, if the signs are there that the the off the field structure changes are, are coming into play and we're bringing in players, you know, with, with, particular, with a particular profile, particular age bracket, and we can see that, then the fans are going to be right, right behind him. But we know he's, got, he's, you know, he's still operating under uh, difficult circumstances regarding the finances as well. So, it's going to be hard for him, I think, but you know we're we're all behind him, that's for sure. Yeah, you say it's a big transfer window for Lampard, but is it big for Everton in general? Because we've seen in the last few weeks this open letter from 
Farhad Mashiri. How was that received by the supporters? Because he effectively admitted in this letter that this hasn't been good enough. We've spent money in the wrong places. And he, it was almost an apology in a way without going quite that far. So what was the, the fan reaction to that letter from the owner after what's been a really disappointing season? It was massively split, to be honest. You know, the, after what's gone on, you know, during his time at the club uh, and, and how much we, we've regressed, really. Um, people see it as too little, too late. You know, where, where have you been for the last six months kind of thing? You know, we he almost brought in, I mean, what one manager was brought in that we didn't want and he almost brought in another one in, in Vitor Pereira, who, who luckily, again, fine intervention stopped that happening. So a lot of fans took it with a pinch of salt and, you know, it was fans prior to the letter coming out have been screaming for some kind of communication. So you just feel it was it was released to, to pacify people. Other fans were a little bit more open to it and the fact that he admitted, obviously, he's got things wrong. And, and like you say, it was almost like uh, an apology to the fans, really. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now going forward. Quite clearly, he wants to sell the club. Um, ideally, that will be happening once we move to Bramley Moor. But I think with obviously the sanctions brought against uh, Usmanov, that is that has almost clipped the the wings in terms of money coming into the club. So we they're going to decide I think to 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 sell up and you know let let's see who who comes to the table who wants to buy the club and and take over the club where we are in a difficult position. But for me that the, the future the future is certainly bright in terms of what we can offer any new owner with Bramley Moore being almost at that silver if you like, for, for any kind of sale. You mentioned a couple of times since we've been speaking, Mike, about changes that are happening at Everton. For a neutral um, follower of the Premier League or someone who isn't quite up to speed with what's happening over at Goodison Park, what are some of those changes? Are, are they tangible? Are they small changes? What's happening? Well, we, we, we hope they're going to be big changes. I mean, look, looking at things, you know, the, the club came out and saying they were doing a strategic review. Uh, the back end of last year start of started this year. Um, Marcel Brands was was, was removed uh, from his his role as as the director of football and, and replaced by by Kevin Fellwell. And what what he is doing he, for those who don't know, he's he's worked there the likes of Wolves. He was successful there with their youth development and uh, their academy etc. And and he also recently worked for for New York Red Bulls as well. So he he's basically come in. And he's going to be working in conjunction with Frank Lampard, basically, uh, in regards to 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 bringing in you know players to the squad and, and players that fit the, the the right profile. But he's he's got a big a big job ahead of him. But he's all you know he's already he's already done that. He's he's brought in over the last couple of days uh, Gareth Prosser as the academy director as well. He worked with him at him at Wolves, and um, he's also got his you know he's got the. UEFA A license as well, so somebody who knows the game inside out. So a lot, a lot of changes happening from a strategic point of view off the field that should then lead into to positive changes on the field. So what what we've always asked for is is, is an identity. What Everton seems to have done when it comes to transfers is to sort of fumble around and throw money at, at various players and and various clubs and. And you know, we look at the squad now. It's it's the the famous sort of Frankenstein squad made up of players brought in through a variety of managers, uh, for a variety of systems. What what we've said for a while is why aren't we operating the same way as your your Man Cities do, for example, where you've got all the sides at all levels playing to the same sort of formation and tactical setup, and then it should run right through the club. So when they do, hopefully, you know, get to the level of the first team, it's not a shock to them. You can slot into the system that they know, and it should it should be a lot easier to recruit. It doesn't matter who the manager is, as long as you've got sort of Kevin Thelwell there, then we should then have have that structure running throughout the whole the whole club. Yeah, I think that's a fair analysis to make, um, particularly when you do look at the lights of Man City and and even your sort of neighbours across Stanley Park. There seem to play a similar way throughout the levels, um, whether that be youth team or reserves or or first team. So Frank Lampard, the man at the helm, looking ahead to next season, is there a sense of drawing a line under what happened last term? Or are there still any lingering concerns? What What's the aim next season for Everton on the pitch? Is it just an improvement or are you looking for a significant improvement, a top 10 finish maybe? I don't think anyone can go into the new season expecting Everton to, to be looking for that top 10. Maybe they are off the, off the pitch, maybe they are at Finch Farm uh, and Lampard sees that as 
as real progression. I think we're being, we're being totally honest. You know, we're going to be selling our best player. All depends who we bring in. You, you want to see Frank Lampard's sort of vision now for that side take hold next season. And I'm thinking sort of if we finish 11th or 12th, then we've got to be satisfied with that because it's progression from from last season. And the important thing is that we don't get sucked into a relegation battle once again. Um, we're, we're comfortable. You know, we can go into, into the last couple of months of the season satisfied. Um, and it's all about stability, really. You know, until we can get into a position again where we can we can recruit and spend, say, say real money, but you know, not not have not be sort of handcuffed and have our hands tied by by the mistakes we've made in the past. So that's going to take another sort of 12, 18 months to get out of that predicament. Um, so it's going to be a case of yeah, so Frank Lampard to you know bring his vision to life, almost get some players into fit into to his system. And, and hopefully that will see us, you know, rise a few places up the table. But more importantly, make sure that we're we're more than comfortable and safe uh, as early on as we can be. Yeah, well, I'm hoping for your sake that there's no further stress for any Evertonians after what's happened over the last 12 months or so. Uh, the Unholy Trinity, great Everton podcast, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're well over 100 episodes in now, Mike covering all the biggest news when it comes to what's happening at Finch Farm or around the club. So tell me about the show and what you've got in store for the upcoming season. Yeah, but we tend to sort of, over the course of the of the, the summer and the pre-season, we, we don't do our weekly episodes, but we had one out a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, and we just tend to sort of fill in, obviously, with the transfer news and things like that. But we've got a couple of, of, of really good guests lined up for our spin-off, the B-side, which will be out hopefully over the next, the next couple of weeks, which will be of real interest, we hope to to Evertonians and football fans alike. So uh, that, that, that's to come. But over the course of the season, you know, we, we'll be back with our, our weekly shows. There'll be a lot to cover. You know, great guests from the world of football, sports, Everton fans as well. You know, we, we get as many Everton fans on as we as we can to discuss to discuss the club and and obviously the the, the latest news out of out of Finch Farm and you know the upcoming matches and reaction to to, to the most recent matches as well, so you know we're we're, we're always we're always growing and getting bigger and trying to do as much as much as we can. So we we will definitely be be back and firing all cylinders. Um, but as I say, over the course of summer, there will be a couple of ep- special episodes out, which which should be of, of real interest as well. Yeah, if you're a supporter of the club, keep an eye out for those. You can follow the show by hitting subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, iTunes. It will be available, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Three diehard Evertonians talking all things toffees, so make sure you get involved with that. Mike, it's been a pleasure, mate. Great to speak to you, and hopefully the next time we catch up, things are slightly more positive than they have been over the last few months. Yeah, fingers crossed. Obviously, we, we, we certainly can't go through another season like last season for, for the good of our health. Let's just hope it's a lot. A lot. A lot quieter for us, to be honest. Yeah, there'd be no podcast left if that was the case. <laughs> there'd be none of you left. Great to speak to you, mate. All the best. Cheers now. Thanks a lot. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.